Welcome to Two Cents Sharp. We're a couple of trumpet players who sort through the best and worst of the online trumpet community, so you don't have to. Then we give our two cents. Welcome to our third full interview. Today we are playing Dr. Alex Wilson's interview, some of which we heard in episode three. Alex is a wonderful teacher, and if you are considering a degree in music, you should definitely check out Grand Valley State University. Hi, Alex. Hello. Hi, Morgan. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? I am doing great. I was just doing some practice. Oh, fantastic. I practiced today, too. Yeah. (laughs) Me, too. Where are we talking to you from? I am uh, coming to you from my home office in Allendale, Michigan. Oh, fantastic. Well, welcome to our show. It's great to talk to you. Uh, We thought we'd start out with something a little simple. Uh, Why did you start playing trumpet? Because my parents wouldn't let me play percussion. (laughs) It's funny. There's always the trumpet players always want to play the same two instruments. I feel it's always percussion or flute. (laughs) Yep. Or both. Yeah, I actually, I honestly have no memory of that. My parents had to tell me this story because apparently I went in and I tried a bunch of instruments and they sounded pretty good on the trumpet and they didn't want me to play percussion. So that's how it was happened. I have no memory of that. Wow. Hmm. Well, what inspired you to pursue it professionally then? Well, um, a couple of things, I suppose. I, I didn't really have too many other things I was interested in at the end of high school. I was thinking about maybe chemistry or maybe trumpet. And the other thing was is that my family had, well, my parents had three sons and daughters, and we played trumpet, French horn, and trombone. And so with the whole family, we had a brass quintet. So we had been playing chamber music for a long time. We were actually pretty good at it. And I, uh, so I knew music was something that I really enjoyed and something that I wanted to, to keep pursuing, even if it you know, didn't become my career. But I figured, why not you know, start off with that as the goal? Yeah, and... Uh, I know at one point you decided to become a professor specifically, like that was the path you wanted to take. Oh, I decided that pretty quick. The first couple of years at Grand Vale, I was looking at the professor, it's from a professor here. I was like, wow, this seems like a great job. This guy just, he comes to work, like uh, teaches like 12 hours a week. And then he has all that time to do whatever he wants. Of course, I, I had obviously really misunderstood the job. <laughs> but I, I still think it's a great deal, and I don't regret uh, pursuing that path at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's your favorite part about being a professor? The trumpet students, obviously. <laughs> wow, thank you. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love having a trumpet studio and trying to create the opportunities to help students grow, trying to always look for new new ways to teach stuff. You know, there's the old intractable problems. You know, how, how do you teach high range to everybody how do you teach people accuracy you know there's there's no final answer to these things but it's fun to pursue (laughs) it it sounds like a eternal journey towards a better understanding of trumpet pedagogy just by learning through students as well as on your own oh yeah you would be it's crazy the the kinds of things that work for some students you just have to keep experimenting but but getting to see that so much improvement you know and so many people is really satisfying And I still have time to do my own thing on the side. Yeah, I mean, you only work 12 hours a week, right? (laughs) I hope you become a professor someday so you understand. More like like 12 (laughs) weeks an hour. (laughs) You would not believe me if I told you how many hours I spend on email every week of the school year. Oh, yeah. Um, So what would actually be 
your best bit of advice for anybody starting the trumpet either just completely from the beginning or just picking it up for the first time in a while that's a great question um depending on how much patience you have for the trumpet air attacks um air attacks are the best probably the best way to come back into playing the trumpet because you have to just contend with how do your lips produce the sound that you have in your head without any interference from anything else. And I consider articulation to be interference in that particular pursuit. Um, so air attacks, it could even be mouthpiece air attacks. I went on vacation for a week this summer. I didn't, I hardly got my trumpet out of the case, but I brought my mouthpiece with me wherever I went. When nice. I was like standing in line at Disney World, I would just pull out my mouthpiece and do some air attacks. And that kept me in perfect shape. When I came back and I had like a few days to prepare before a rehearsal for my um, CD, I, I felt great, I sounded great. So for someone in charge of teaching younger students who are maybe just studying, what I would recommend is um, getting them tunes that they're interested in. <laughs> right. Um, that's one of the best ways to engage a young students, I think. I mean, that's what's getting me going right now. <laughs> I've oh, kind of, um, I'm reading through some musical pit books right now. Oh, nice. Playing through a little bit of Hairspray today. Um, I don't remember what else I played through, but... After after taking a little bit of distance from the horn after graduating, the thing that's got me back into playing the trumpet, like the the very best thing is just playing what I want. And then from there we'll we'll get into like, all right, now I can play this. How do I get better? And back on the practice train. It's the most positive I've felt about the trumpet in a while. Oh, certainly. We we've uh we've asked this question to all of our interviewees, and the common denominator I think between every single one of them was everybody should be listening to and playing what they love, and it doesn't matter if you're a beginner trumpet or somebody who's been on the horn. They're going strong. A lot of people found that the best way to maintain a healthy relationship with the horn is to just play what you love. That's great advice. Yeah. So what's your favorite part of the trumpet community? Well, I think there's there's no substitute for showing up in a physical place surrounded by members of that community. So I don't really I don't engage maybe as much as other people do with the online trumpet community. Like I'm, I'm part of some trumpet Facebook groups and occasionally I see a post. But um, what I really love is going to a big conference or a big competition and surround myself with trumpet players and go, you know, hear the best performers in the world and hear what the talented young people are doing. You know, it's, it's always really inspiring. I always walk away from those thinking, oh my God, that person was so good at blank, you know, flexibility, accuracy, high range, something. And I'm like, whoa, I got to practice. And I like, actually, I, I have that sound in my head and I can pursue uh, a particular goal that I just heard someone do. That's, that's probably my favorite part of the trumpet community. It sounds like you're uh, shopping for new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you don't really go in shopping. for Like, you don't go to hear Chris Martin because you want new ideas. You go to have your mind blown. But I always walk away and I'm like, oh, my God, how does he make that tone? You know? Right. And then I go home and I have something to chew on for a few weeks of practice. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The, the cognitive approach to other people playing sometimes. And I think there's, especially after the last year of COVID-19, right. there is nothing like live music. I will appreciate live music more for the rest of my life, I think, because I had a year like with no live music. It was right. awful. Yeah. Just playing piano in a, a worship band um, at the beginning of this year was just like, 
Oh. <laughs> like, I played with a community band this summer, and I was like, wow, I have missed this. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Live it's, music is something else. It, it's the energy of the room, and you, you feel that even at the conferences, where everybody's just all focused on this one singular subject, and there's a lot of chaos out in like, the general public. If you walk into a grocery store, I mean, it, it's just constant chaos and no focus and then you walk into like a concert and suddenly the musicians they're all focusing on the one thing and the audience is focusing on the one thing and it's the really that's a really profound piece of psychology right there that other people's focus influences our own focus oh certainly that's true for um for practice too i so if you are able to practice in a space where you know other people can hear you you practice much better (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's very true oh, yeah. as i credit that for one of the reasons that i became pretty good at the trumpet was i i couldn't be bothered to hunt for a practice room at arizona state so i just went outside i would practice in parking garages i would practice on the sidewalk always people walking by i always had the a captive audience yes <laughs> case open to catch some coins as they walk by <laughs> nothing like efficient practice and uh, fear someone that someone tried caught. to do that and i was like bro i i'm playing buzzing basics right now this is not a <laughs> keep your quarters yeah so i mean as many people know there's a lot that the trumpet community could work on um what what's something that you think that we as a trumpet community should focus on improving how how do you think we should approach it I'd say the number one thing that I'd say that we could probably all improve on is focusing on the quality of our practice and how the environment, how our practice environment influences the quality of our practice. I think that's really underrated. And like we we're just talking about, if you're practicing with somebody else, your practice quality, auto- like it just doubled automatically because now it's very hard to get distracted when somebody else is listening to you. And even if you're only playing half the time, you're still getting so much more value than if you're just sitting in a practice room, banging your head against the wall by yourself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And there are are other things you can do. Um, I find that if I practice in the morning, I have, you know, I got more of my um, mental (laughs) stamina left. (laughs) You know, by the, if I'm practicing at midnight, I'm really tired. Chances are I have YouTube on. And I'm just playing some scales while I watch a YouTube video. You know, it's not very quality practice. But by that time of the day, I don't really have a choice. It's YouTube practice or no practice. (laughs) In the morning, you know, if I practice in the morning, if I make time to practice in the morning, you get better practice. So um, notice those things about your own practice is my advice. And try to set up the best environment you can. I like that. Not a lot of people put a lot of focus or pay much attention to their practice environment beyond am I going to get a noise complaint from my neighbors or not? <laughs> well, I, obviously that's part of it. You know, that's not a, that's not an ideal environment. And if you're worried about getting a noise complaint, that's a focus that's being drawn away from what you're, what you're doing with the trumpet. Well, uh, as trumpeters working in the public arena, it's considered part of our job to be ambassadors of the arts to the general community what would you say about this obligation and what do you contribute as an ambassador well i mean there's an obvious answer we are performing artists we do want to perform for the public and that's uh, you know one of the most satisfying things you can do is have a successful performance in front of uh, you know an audience of people who want to hear what you're doing 
uh, ambassador kind of implies that you're, you're trying to get people who wouldn't already have been in the audience involved, though. So that's maybe a, a different... If not ambassador, question. at least a representative or... Um, there was a better word that... Uh, <laughs> I'm blanking on the word. As a performing artist, you are... A model? Role model. Role model, I, I suppose. But you you do have audiences coming who are not deeply involved in the music world listening to the music and they may be taking a chance and they may have never come to a classical music concert before and they're coming to see you perform that puts you in a very specific position (laughs) show them what it's like to be completely wrapped up in the music you know Uh, be be such a conduit of the music that they in in some part of some part that the mirror neurons think that they're on stage with you they can feel what it's like to be a part of all that music at least that's that's kind of what i look for when i'm when i'm in the audience the best soloists that I've ever seen um, made me feel like I was up there with them, like that they were such a powerful conduit of the music. They just, everyone, you know, they, they just drew everyone's focus to one point in the room. And I feel like everyone could feel what it was, what it was like to make the music. It was like <laughs> an invitation. Yeah. Um, I'm explaining it poorly. <laughs> uh, I get I the gist of making yeah, connections with the audience on a level beyond just i am musician you are yeah it's it's like transcending the notes and being the music you know you can bring the audience there with you if you're good enough (laughs) certainly and that that definitely points back to what we were talking about with the the wonderful part of being part of a, a musical community is we all share this one individual focus and it, it creates a much deeper experience than just simply sitting in a room listening to a radio. Although I think even a radio is better than a CD because a radio, you know that other people are simultaneously listening. Yeah, I've never actually like considered that fact hmm. beyond like if I call in to <laughs> request something, I know that people are listening, <laughs> but it, it often just feels like a iPod on shuffle. A, just old tackle or iPod on shuffle, but you have no control of what's in the playlist that's shuffling. (laughs) (laughs) That's also part of the fun. Yeah. When you're working in a field like music, you have a lot of opportunities to be a leader, both with um, your colleagues and those in positions of less experience. Um, So how do you approach being a leader in the trumpet community? In, in a one-on-one lesson, being a leader is being able to demonstrate and being a, being a tool bag full of ideas. One idea doesn't work, you pull out the next idea, see if that one works. Um, and playing duets, I think, is invaluable. Imitation is an underrated part of learning music, I think. Um, if you can, when you play with somebody else, they, they pick up things much faster than if you just tried to describe it to them. So I think that's that's probably the most direct form of leadership we have, you know, play something with me. So, you know, yeah. and I'll demonstrate how I think it should sound and you follow along. That's why we listen to recordings. Yeah. Yeah. And with young students is particularly, particularly important, I found. I don't have much experience teaching young trumpet players, but what I have found is that when they're when they're very young and they're not good at reading music yet, don't focus too much on reading the music. You know, focus a little bit on that. Teach them a, teach a little something every time they come in. But mostly, you know, you play something, they're going to watch you play it. They're going to get the fingerings from you. That's perfectly fine. 
Um, so in that sense, in a one-on-one -on -one sense, that's what I think leadership is. Um, in the wider community, um, I think leadership is a willingness to try new things. If someone tells you about a new idea, it's your responsibility to try it out and see if you can incorporate it into your tool bag. It's talking about the trumpet realistically. Um, I think uh, for me, one of the most toxic things about the trumpet community is people who say, oh, if you don't practice five hours a day, you'll never mount to anything, you know? Yeah. Um, or, uh, yeah, it's completely, heard I've before. heard such unrealistic things. And the people who just pile pressure on you, like, you know, if you don't, if you don't start practicing more and getting good, you're gonna, uh, you'll never amount to anything. It's not, it's not about that. It's about improvement, like no, or, um, measurable improvement. If you're always improving, you know, you're going to get there. And it's not about the amount you practice is actually, I think, much less important than the um, quality of your practice. If you get an hour of quality practice time a day, it's going to add up really fast. Certainly. I'll, I'll rephrase that as emphasize measurable improvement over comparisons between people. Certainly. So, so it's, about, it's about your own improvement. What do you want to get better at and see what you can do to improve yourself? Don't always compare yourself to Chris Martin. You'll always be disappointed. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Yeah, I've um, noticed that same toxicity, actually. It dominoes from your expectations in the practice room to your expectations of others. And you, you notice a lot of symphony orchestras, they're so focused on just absolute perfection that they're losing the actual joy and passion of playing music. That was one of the saddest things. I won't say like where I learned this, but uh, when I, <laughs> when I got to play with my first, you know, kind of major regional orchestra, I was just absolutely delighted to be there. Nothing could have damped my enthusiasm. I was just pumped about the music. I was pumped to be sitting in between the players that I was sitting in between. And they spent half the rehearsal bitching about the conductor and i was like what <laughs> you're here with these people playing this amazing music and you're letting the conductor get on your nerves how is it possible we, we forget. It, it's, Just... but it must be an easy trap to fall into because you you often see it yeah it, we're not trying to emulate a studio recording it's it's a live performance and so musicians they aren't joining the musical community just because they want to make a lot of money it's not the most lucrative career so as trumpeters it's our, <laughs> it's our duty to remember that you know ultimately we're doing this because we love and enjoy it not because we need to be perfect and we're going to make a lot of money for it and that translates to the audience in the music in that in-person performance that we connect all together during they're not going to catch that connection that we're all striving to make if they're not trying to connect i mean the, the funny thing is, is that even even when they were grumpy they were excellent at connecting musically you know the the second trumpet player there was just a god of matching you know he, he could make the first trumpet player sound great no matter what else was happening <laughs> it's just he didn't necessarily enjoy it <laughs> yeah <laughs> which to me was like uh, i couldn't imagine because i was just just too thrilled to be a part of it you know that that was actually a pretty funny story do you have any other funny stories you remember from your time on trumpet it, it could be in rehearsals or lessons or really just anything involving trumpet it's like i'm looking at the source of my funny stories <laughs> <laughs> well, uh let's see one of my uh one of my most glorious moments <laughs> 
<laughs> so Trevor oh, no. Blair, uh, came out. I was, I was playing with the community band. There's so I've um, I still play with community bands uh, during the summer just for fun, and because um, I've been playing with the same community band since I was uh, in the ninth grade. Wow. Um, one of my trumpet playing uh, adult friends invited me to play with this community band. He like drove me there. We'd like drive in his pickup truck and listen to jazz on the radio. We'd get to the rehearsal and then he'd drive me back to my parents' place. Um, and this community band rehearsed on Tuesday, performed on Thursday, and then they rehearsed on Tuesday and they performed. On... And I was like, whoa, is this, <laughs> is this what a real ensemble is like? Cause this is nothing like my school ensemble that rehearses for like a couple months and does one performance. <sighs> so I learned so much from them. So I still, I still go back in the summer and I play with them because the, the sight reading practice is just so excellent and it's such a positive experience. Um, but one time there was a, uh, we were playing a Beatles medley and they had given the piccolo trumpet solo in Penny Lane to the wrong instrument. They had not given it to the trumpet section and it just did not sound right oh. on the flute. Oh. And the conductor, the, <laughs> the conductor looked back at me and said, Alex, could you play that solo? And I had happened to bring my piccolo trumpet. I pulled it out. And fortunately, I knew exactly how to play the solo. <laughs> nice. With, with, no, with no music. It was probably the most glorious moment of my life. The heavens <laughs> had like, opened up upon you that day. <laughs> that is not I was, a new I, goal I could not mind. have been better prepared. I had been just noodling around. And, and I had played that solo just like, maybe a couple weeks back and then it came up in rehearsal and I was like, ah, yes, yeah, I do know exactly how that solo goes on the trumpet. I love that. That is now on my bucket list. Be always prepared and then ask to play Penny Lane. It's funny in that. <laughs> but, I mean, a weird story just came to mind. Oh. <laughs> well, I had, um, there was one time when I got to play Beagle's Holiday in Carnegie Hall and then the next day, I auditioned for the uh, Charlotte Symphony. And on, in Carnegie Hall, I was absolutely just unstoppable. I missed one of the entrances in Bugler's Holiday, and it didn't phase me even for a second. I, I, didn't, I came right back in. I was playing from memory. And I didn't mess anything else up. And I think we had a really, you know, it was a really strong performance, even though I had forgotten who was supposed to play first of the three of us. On one of the entrances and then the next day at the audition i got thrown out after one excerpt because i couldn't hold the steady sound i was just shaking too bad <laughs> like, oh. I was really shaking and i was like how does somebody come from playing with with such resilience in carnegie hall and then in the first round of an audition just completely blow it like it's, it's just so weird thinking like the difference between playing for people who want to hear you and playing for people who are there because they're, they're just trying to hear exits and pick out the next, you know, <laughs> you can definitely yes. sense that when you're, when you're in the chair in front of the screen and that yeah. you can How just you tell the people behind that? that screen, they're looking for something and there's like a maybe 10% chance you will actually play that thing they're looking for. I think that's yeah. optimistic right there. Yeah, it's it's a tough environment. Well, is there anything uh, else? But I think uh... it's, it's important for people to know that, you know, even people playing at a very high level still get the super nerves <laughs> in an audition, yeah? It's normal. The more experience you get with it, the better you'll be able to handle it. And even then, 
sometimes it's just not going to work out. It's good for everyone to, to remember that the good people make mistakes. I think a lot of people forget that they put the good yeah. players up on this pedestal and they forget that, you know, there's mistakes that everybody well, makes that. Well, let me share with you how recording a trumpet CD goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I record trumpet CDs and I, I learned from the best, I learned from David Hickman, who is, uh, you know, just a... Uh, one of the, the great soloists of our time. And he taught me how to record a CD. He was literally like sitting in the in the booth as my producer. And I was like, all right, well, it's time to record the first movement, right? And he laughed at me. He was like, it's time to record the first 40 measures. Hmm. Now we recorded the first 40 measures three times. He was like, yeah, I think, uh, let's see, you got everything in at least one of those takes, except measure 13, let's just do uh, three measures there, get a little patch. And this is, that's just the approach. You, you expect that the CD is going to be uh, perfect and you do whatever you need to do so that you can edit together, stitch together a nice Frankenstein of perfect trumpet playing. <laughs> uh, even when like, you know, you're not really capable of playing the whole piece perfectly. You know, what are the odds you get through the entire sonata and don't miss any notes? That's, that's not a normal human thing to do on the trumpet. Um, but that is what I'm presenting to people. You know, there's a chance of a big misconception there. When my CD comes out, people are going to think, oh my God, he could play that whole piece without making a mistake. No, that's mm -hmm. not the requirement for making a CD. <laughs> I think a CD Ooh, is Or making better, enjoyable uh, music, you know? Oh, certainly. I think that a CD is better explained as a presentation of the musicality you can put into every phrase, not necessarily your actual technical abilities. Or at the very least, of audio presentation of what has been published on paper and what it's supposed <laughs> to sound like. A model, if you will. Well, yeah, that is a kind of, you know, <laughs> I'm not a big enough name to record things that other people have recorded and expect uh, any attention. So I'm recording just stuff that hasn't been recorded. So it is partially a you know, model of what's on paper. If someone in the future wants to know what the Asafi of Trumpet Sonata sounds like, oh, they'll have an example. Exactly. Of course, previously there, there was an example, but it's played on viola. It's not quite the same. Ah. <laughs> I don't know how, how this piece got arranged and uh, recorded on viola first before it was a uh, and it was written as recorded a on the actual instrument it was written for. Yeah, that's the only that's the only place it exists right now in YouTube as a no viola one steals piano music. So it's it's nice to know that somebody wants her music, even if it's a viola. That <laughs> is a bash against up. violists. If you are a violist, I meant that. <laughs> oh dear. Just kidding. We love all instrumentalists. Come equally. after me if you want. I, I play violin. Recording <laughs> actually was pretty useful because I didn't know what the piano part was supposed to sound like. <laughs> Hashtag violas matter too. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else that you'd like to add for um, just on the topic of the social aspect of trumpet? Playing chamber ensembles, folks. Chamber ensembles are a nice, positive way to be on the same team as other trumpet players. And um, you will get a lot more out of positive relationships than you will out of pure, unmitigated competitiveness. <laughs> <laughs> we want to build each other so, up, not break each other yeah, down. Yeah. You're, the way I, I put it is like the, the people that you're in school with, the, the odds are very slim that these are going to be your particular rivals throughout your career. Your rivals are somewhere else. Use these people who are around you in a positive way. Lift each other up. 
so that you can all be more successful. Do you have any upcoming projects or projects in the works which you would like to speak about, which you have well, already started I, speaking I, about? I did just finish recording for my second solo CD. Nice. Uh, so now I have a lot of editing in front of me, a grant proposal, uh, mastering, and finally publishing. So it's, it'll be a little while before the CD actually comes out, but I've just finished recording it. And I'm really excited about um, really excited about it. I think it's going to be a really good CD. Do you have a title for this CD? I do not have a title. No, I don't have a title. I don't have a cover, album cover. Um, I'll get there. <laughs> Thank you for asking. That was a good chance to plug it. And yeah. I don't have a title for it yet. You should call it 60 <laughs> Minutes Straight of Double High C. <laughs> uh, no, it's I'm a misnomer. <laughs> Well, you do have, this is your second CD. What's the name of your first CD? Volti Subito. You can nice. find it on YouTube. You can find it on iTunes. Volti Subito means turn the page quickly. You should name way. this one, this page intentionally left blank to facilitate page. a page turn. Oh man, I really want to now. That's a little too new music. New music uh, for the actual that. content of the album. <laughs> Another one of those good misnomers, like naming like a friendly <laughs> snake the world's deadliest viper or something like that. <laughs> I should probably, I, I'll find another um, obscure Latin phrase. <laughs> nice. I cannot wait oh, to see like, like Actually, is Volcus Vito Latin or is it Italian? I should Italian. probably know this. Okay. Italiatin. I'll find another obscure Italian phrase to use. I forget the literal translation of it throw quickly or throw suddenly i would assume it's something about suddenly if it's like volte uh, it'd be like vault turn quickly. Uh, hmm. well there you have it guys if you want to listen to alex you can listen to his first cd and once you've done uh, giving yourself earworm from that one hopefully he'll have the second one out by then and you can look up his obscure latin italian term for that <laughs> Disclaimer. i arranged a violin concerto for the second one nice. Ooh, which one uh, Henry of Utomps, uh, Violin Concerto Number Two. Oh, fantastic choice! Violin's a great instrument to steal music from. <laughs> I love stealing from them. They don't appreciate how much repertoire they have. I think they do, and that's why they are the way they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate you, violinists. <laughs> we envy you. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being on our show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was it's been a pleasure. fantastic to talk about trumpet with you and have a few laughs. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to hear your uh, podcast. Thank me you. either. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to Dr. Alex Wilson for your time and for chatting with us. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe, etc. to support our podcast and to be notified when next week's episode comes out. Next week, we're beginning a new episode cycle and we can't wait to share even more fun content with you. All the music in this episode was recorded and provided by Dr. Alex Wilson. The intro music is Pier Gent Suite Number 1, Opus 46, Movement 3, A Nitras Dance, composed by Edvard Grieg and arranged by David Hickman. And the outro music is Funiculi Funicula by Herbert L. Clark. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope to have you back next time. And remember, always play two cents sharp.